Homeschooling isn't just about education. It's about your kids, it's about your family, and it's about a lifestyle. Hi, my name is Jackie and I'm the founder of Homeschool Think Tank. The Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast is about community, family, education, and life. I believe that these are the things that matter to homeschool families. Tune in each week and let's talk. I'll bring you a message from my heart, an expert interview, or an interview with the ultimate homeschooling experts, homeschool families like yours. Remember to check the link in the show notes below and you'll find an article that corresponds with this episode. Finally, remember to visit homeschoolthinktank.com for more information about how we serve homeschooling families. All right, let's get started with this week's episode. Today's interview is with Mary Gallagher, and she is the co-author of Teach a Child to Read with Children's Books. And you are definitely going to want to get your hands on this book if you are helping a child learn how to read. And also, you are going to want to check the link that corresponds with this podcast episode because Mary has gifted our podcast listeners chapter five out of this book. And she says, if you read that one chapter, you'll know whether you need this book or not and whether it'll work for you or not. So you can find the link in the show notes below. You can always find more about our podcast guests at homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews as well. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode with Mary Gallagher, the co-author of Teach a Child to Read with Children's Books. So Mary, why don't you tell us more about yourself, who you are, who you serve, all the things. Sure. Thanks, Jackie, for having me on. You bet. Um, Again, my name is Mary Gallagher. I am the co-author of Teach a Child to Read with Children's Books. I currently live in uh, Boulder County, Colorado, but I am originally from Ohio, born and raised in Ohio, and that's where my children were raised and they still live. Um, I've been in education my whole life and I was in college. I had to declare a major. I was sitting around with all my friends and they said, hey, what may, what are you going to do? And I go, I don't know. Do you think I should be a teacher? Yeah. They said, Mary, you'd be a great teacher. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did. And I ended up in education and um, uh, the rest, as they say, is history. But I've taught everything from first grade, uh, well, preschool to middle school, let's put it that way. Um, I've been in Title I most of my career, and that's working with children um, who are below where they should be in reading. And I've also worked as an online teacher. I was an online teacher long before online teaching actually became a popular subject like it is now. Uh, that was actually way back in 2003. So I've been, I was in online education for a long time. Um, I pioneered the first Title I reading program in a virtual school. In really? I did yes. not know this. So I was the pioneer of online education and doing reading online. And what I learned there was that um, what we were working, I was working more with the parents than I was with the children at that time because the parents were the teachers at home, right? So I had to learn how do I explain everything that I know and that's up here in my head to these parents who are so eager to see their children learn to read? And so I developed all kinds of things, including a literacy strategy handbook. I wrote all my own lessons and curriculum. Um, and then somewhere along the line, um, my colleague and friend, Mark Thogmartin, uh, called me up and said, hey, Mary, I've got this book I wrote, and it's called Teach a Child to Read with Children's Books. And my editors want it to go into a new updated version with all kinds of new research and, you know, all of that. Would you be interested? And I couldn't believe it. I was so excited because I had literally just completed my master's degree in literacy. And so I said, absolutely, Mark, I'll do it. So I rewrote his entire book. We took chapters out. We added chapters. We added new things. And the funny part through all that is I fell and dislocated my elbow at oh. that time. So I literally, I'm not kidding you guys, this is a labor of love. I rewrote that book with one hand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mary. And what, what year was that? 
or that what was, years? Well, that was 2009. We did the rewrite. Um, and so if anyone's looking for a book, we always want to direct them to the fourth edition because that's the, the fourth edition. edition. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it, should anything like that ever happen to somebody? Now there's technology where you can dictate and it just types it out for you. Wouldn't have that been nice? Yes. <laughs> exactly. I don't know about you though. I, I definitely think through writing and especially handwriting, but on the computer, I, I sort of need that a little bit to help me formulate my thoughts if I, if I'm doing a book. <laughs> so, wow, Mary. Okay. Oh, I wanted to mention this and I don't mean to embarrass you or anything, but I'm going to ask you to toot your own horn a little bit because you mentioned like in passing to me that Kathy Duffy did a really nice write-up for you. Now, anybody, let me preface this for people who don't know who Kathy Duffy is. I think if you've been homeschooling for a long time, you know who Kathy Duffy is. She does a lot of book reviews and really helps guide parents in choosing curriculum. So if you don't know, look up her website and check that out. And actually, maybe I'll Maybe I can put a link to the write-up she did for you yes. in the blog post. We have a blog post on the Homeschool Think Tank website all about Mary and everything that she's offering. And we'll, actually, we'll do that next. But So that's who Kathy Duffy is. There is a lot of stock in having a great review from Kathy Duffy. So tell yeah. me about that review. Yes, absolutely. Kathy Duffy gave us a wonderful review. And basically what Kathy Duffy said was, I wish that every parent of a preschool child would read this book before they choose any reading curriculum for their child. She um, also has included our book, Teach a Child to Read with Children's Books, in two of her top homeschool picks. So we've been featured in there twice. And many people that find me, find our book, find our website, come to our Facebook group. I ask, well, how did you find us? How did you find uh, the book? And they say, Kathy Duffy. And uh, so, yes, there's a lot of stock. We also, um, we've, we've met, Kath Mark and I have both met Kathy Duffy because we um, we were at one of the home, great homeschool conventions in Cincinnati. We had a booth there, and Kathy Duffy was, I, I think she might have been speaking there at the time. I don't remember, but I know she had a booth there, of course. And she just said, this, this is just one of the best books um, for homeschool parents that I have ever reviewed. And she said, I, I just want to tell so many parents about it. So we have had a really good support from Kathy Duffy and that's been really great. And I will send you the link so parents can read that full review from her. You bet. I will absolutely put that in the blog post that goes with this. So in that exact URL is homeschoolthinktank.com slash teach a child to read. So in spaces where they should be. So, um, and actually where spaces are, you do dashes in a URL. So, so then the other thing before we really get into the meat of the interview is I'd like to ask you to tell us, you are giving some things away today. And so go ahead and tell us about that right quick. And then we're going to get into this interview, but I want people to know about those giveaways. Sure. So okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so what um, Jackie's going to be able to give to you is uh, actually a free chapter from our book, and it's chapter five. And chapter five is all about the core of our book and the core of how we suggest that you teach reading, which is using real books. So it's using real books in your reading program, um, making real books the core of your reading program. So if you read that chapter, um, you'll have an idea right then and there. Is this the book I want? Is this something? Something for me? Is this going to work for my family? Um, you won't have to really guess and wonder what the rest of the book is about or what our methodology and philosophy about reading is. So that's free for you guys. Um, I'm also going to give away two reading analysis to um, some folks that uh, Jackie draws from the uh, podcast and from the interview. And basically what I do there, and I've given a lot of these away in my free Facebook group as well, and parents find this super invaluable. What I do is listen to your child read and then um, 
give you some feedback very quickly. And this is super easy. I just need a quick video and it doesn't have to be your child's face. So there's no privacy issues. What I'm looking for is the words of the book that your child is reading. And so that I can hear clearly how your child is reading and kind of how you're prompting him or her as well. So basically what a lot of parents do is just film their child over the shoulder so I can see the pages and hear them. And from that reading, I can tell you very quickly, it only has to be a couple of minutes long, maybe three, four at the most. I can tell you, you know, what your child needs to work on, where the breakdown is, perhaps if the reading level is too difficult, that could be the problem. So what that really does is help parents just get over the hump or get unstuck because sometimes it's not a big deal. It's just one little thing that we need to tweak, fix, do or stop doing or do differently. And then your child can move on and make progress. So I find that Jackie just really rewarding when a parent comes back and says, oh my gosh, we, I just changed the level of the books and now he's reading like crazy. It works and it's huh. magic and it sounds like magic, but it's really not. It's just me being able to share 30 years of knowledge and experience doing this with parents. And so I'm excited to do that for our two lucky winners. Thank you so much, Mary. That I really think that is so valuable. And oh, I wanted to say this in response to what you were sharing about the reading analysis. I, Mary, I wish I would have had you when my oldest or my youngest daughter was learning to read. My, my oldest daughter, we used a curriculum. I'm not going to say what curriculum, but it worked for a while. And then we hit like lesson number 30, 32. And it was just this roadblock and we kept trying and trying and it just, it wasn't working. So what we ended up doing is we went to the library and talked to our librarian, which mm -hmm. I, Flo, I love you. She might be watching this. <laughs> she's, she's like a fan and she is so wonderful. She's helped me so much over the years with different, with guidance, you know, and choosing books. So she led us to Mo Willems, W-I-L-L-E-M-S. I love his books, the Pinky yes. and Gerald series. And then there was another series. I actually, we didn't read them as much during that time frame, but we read them a lot. Mudge, the dog, Harry. But no, that was a little later we read those. I, anyway, but, but that got us, we read every Mo Willems book they had. Yeah. All of them over and over. We would just check them out and that got us through it. And then with my oldest daughter, we, we then, once she was sort of past that, we actually went back to that curriculum and we ended up finishing it. But I have to say by the end of it, it was not fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then with my youngest daughter, we had, we had a lot of other challenges too. And to this day, we still have challenges that were, I were overcoming. And I have to say, if all I ever had was my first child, I would probably be the most arrogant parent you ever met. My second child humbles me. Mm -hmm. But I actually, I would have never done this without both of my girls, without both of them, because they both have inspired me to start homeschool think tank and do things in their own way. Right. And in many ways, Homeschool Think Tank is an answer to my own problems, and I'm trying to help other people by solving these problems, too. Yeah. So, but then with the youngest, she actually, just so people know this, I don't know how, if I've really shared this much. So she homeschooled for a while, and then we, we actually put her in private school for about a year and a half. I got to a point where I could not do this one more day. I couldn't do it. And I now recognize, okay, we have some additional challenges that I don't think everybody has, but I now recognize my mistake as a parent. And this is why I have the philosophy of focus on connection first. And I did a podcast once on, um, where I said, and then education and then community, I've changed my tune on that. Focus on connection with your child first then building community, and then education. And I really think when you, you keep that in your mind, connection comes first, not curriculum. Yes. 
it, it makes all the world of difference. So I don't want to hijack this whole conversation, but I wanted to share those experiences. And she learned to read. I have to say though, I was so, was so I was sort of frustrated because like I could see she was just about to like, it was going to click. You know, you can see those light bulb moments coming. And, and then she started private school. And it's like the teacher got all the credit. <laughs> I was like, we had, she was like this close, but she had an amazing teacher in private school and I'm so grateful for her. So anyway, but this is, this is part of why I wanted to share Mary's stuff so much is she teaches your kids how to read, helps guide you teach your kids how to read with children's books. And I think that is going to be the most effective thing. It lines up with my belief system. So go ahead, let's go forward. So tell us more. Well, no, I just want to um, add to what you just said. I always tell parents, we do provide a pretty extensive reading list um, that parents can actually get for free off of our website, which is teachachildtoread.net. Um, but you'll also get that if you purchase the book. But I always tell parents, go to the library and talk to your children's librarian um, because they'll be like, well, we read this one book and now what do I need? I said, take that book to the library, go to your libra children's librarian and said, I need, I need more books like this and they will guide you. And once you get a hold of a series or an author or a type of book that you can just replicate, you can just, that can feed your reading program for weeks. Like you said, just reading it over and over and rereading is the best way to develop fluency. When children reread books that they already know how to read, that develops their confidence and their fluency. So getting, and if they're connecting, like you just said, the connection, they're connecting to the characters. You can even go to the author's website so they can connect to the author. And so um, you talked about two children who both learned to read very differently. And I have the same experience and it's not uncommon at all. And I hear it all the time from parents. It's like, I use this and I use this. And then my third child, it was, uh-oh. And then I found your book. And then I realized I, I could use just books and I could make this work for all my children. So a lot of times when parents will say, well, I use this reading program and it was amazing. And I'm thinking, you know, I gently try to say to them, I bet even if you used a different reading program, that child would have learned to read too, because that child was ready to learn to read. But when a child, it's that program isn't working for another child, what do you do? So my story is very similar. My first son, Ryan, um, was born in March. When he turned five, he went to kindergarten in the fall. I never even looked at what was really going on. I was busy teaching in the same school that he was getting kindergarten in. And before I knew it, literally I blinked before Christmas and he was reading. And it was like, okay, problem, no worries. You know, that's how it's supposed to work. Of course I was teaching reading. So I knew that that was great. And then my second child, who was a June birthday, came along and I, th I started looking at him and looking at the kids that I used to teach and what I knew about reading and what Ryan, and I said, uh, Sean's not ready for kindergarten. <laughs> this isn't going to work. You know, he wasn't showing any signs of even, you know, he would write his name and the letters would be like this tall. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. Uh-huh. So when we went to, you know, kindergarten screening, whatever, I said to the, to the principal, this was at a different school, I said, he's not ready. And she said, oh, he's age appropriate. We will serve him. That's what they say in the public school. Mm -hmm. And I said, but I know he's not ready. I'm a reading specialist. And she's like, oh, don't worry. We've got reading specialists here, da, 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 da. So he did go to kindergarten that fall, and I can tell you it was just basically like preschool experience for him. And yet they, the teachers were nervous, they were worried, they had him in Title I, they were pulling him out, they were doing all these special things. At five. At five. And of course, now keep in mind that that was a June birthday, and some kids were coming in with October, November birthdays. So they had, you know, how many? Six to eight months on him, you know? Yes. So I said... Listen, so at the end of the year, we had this big meeting. I think there was like five people there and me, and I was just like determined that Sean was not going to go to first grade because I knew I had taught first grade and I knew if he wasn't ready to read, this was going to set him up for a lifetime of frustration. So I finally, they all looked at me and we said, they said, we don't want Sean to go to first grade. We want him to do kindergarten again. And I said, yay. 
And so Sean did kindergarten again. And then I saw those light bulbs going off. I saw that he was now getting ready to learn to read. And this is also a really important point. I think you and I talked about this the other day. We have lots of schools that want children to learn to read in kindergarten. And really mm -hmm. that's getting ready to learn to read. And all those important things that are happening are going to set your child up for success when it is time to learn to read. So long story short, Sean went to first grade. By November of first grade, Sean was reading on grade level. So let's do the timeline there. Ryan was a little over five. Ryan was five and a half and he was reading. Sean was seven and a half when he was reading. Yep. That's Two about like my kids difference but let me tell you both those boys are amazing readers and writers today i mean they forget if i'm a writer but forget about it they write circles around me <laughs> and, and they send me books now here mom well, read, book, read that book <laughs> and you know i think it's so difficult because here here has been my challenge as a homeschooling parent especially early on what did I do with my kids before they reached five years old? I sat on the couch and I read them books. We read three times a day. We read in the morning, we read right before nap, and we read right before bedtime. I probably spent an hour and a half a day reading to my kids. Yes. That, and that was a huge connection time. Yes. And so, and actually my, my oldest, literally the pediatrician, she was there for her two-year-old checkup and she had her like, I think they're called Magna Doodles and she wrote the letter H and the pediatrician said, she said, look, mom, it's an H. It was the first time she'd ever done, done that. She said, that's not normal. <laughs> but I think it's because I read to them and we had bathtub letters and all of that. Yeah. But same parent, same things going on. And my younger daughter, just didn't click with it till she was older, till she was right. seven, eight. Right. It just right. wasn't there. And, but here it was my challenge as a parent. And I don't think I'm alone, Mary. I feel like my kids need to be on grade level, quote yeah. unquote. Yes. And I think that is the worst thing. I just think it's terrible. Your children are going to develop as quickly as they're going to develop according to their level. And I look at myself as a young entrepreneur, really, in that space. If all of us who are learning how to, you you know, you don't just write a book and it sells. You have to work on all so many all sorts of other things to get things to move, right? To get your message into the world. Well, you and I can start at the same exact time, mm -hmm. and we might be in totally different places in three right. years. For, Right. From the start date. Right. Right. But it, and it's the same for our children. It's yeah. the same for our children. They can start at the same place. They can have the same parents, the same reading opportunities, but they're going to grasp things at different times. And I'll tell you what, it's a mental roadblock. It is a mental roadblock yeah. for parents. And, and I find it very aggravating, honestly, because our government, we, we feel like we need to meet government standards, right? Why? Why? It, it be, because we're legally obligated to. That's why. It's not because it's what's right for our children. Mm -hmm. And that's where I get so frustrated as a homeschooling parent, because I'm always thinking like in the back of my mind, if I get checked up on whatever, I need to be able to prove X, Y, Z, but so, what if my kid's not there? What if that's just yeah. not where she is? And what if my other kid did it way early? What I look at is the advancement. Right. Are they continuing yes. to grow? Yes. Are they continuing to get stronger as a reader, a writer, or whatever? Yeah. Yes. So I'm, I'm sorry, man, I could go down a pipe there, <laughs> but it makes me really frustrated and I'm not alone and I know it. Right. So, and, you know, um, exactly what you just said. If a parent can switch from the mindset of a benchmark that their child has to meet rather, uh, and then switch that to progress, as long as your child is making progress, 
we're going in the right direction. And, you know, I have a little sticky note um, uh, in my office here that says what we focus on grows and gets better, right? So focus on the things that your child is doing more of today or better today. Like, oh my gosh, you learned two new sight words. That's positive growth. That doesn't mean we're measuring that by those benchmarks. Now, I do share some of those expectations or benchmarks with parents um, just because I want them to kind of have an idea because a lot of parents will think my child is behind in reading. And then when I share some like fluency rates or what the expectations are, you know, between these broad grade level ranges, they feel better because they say, oh, I thought he should have been doing this in kindergarten. I'm like, no, 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 no we're okay. Um, But let's talk about that a little bit more because I think there is so much pressure there and there's so much pressure happening now with some parents who are schooling at home, even though they didn't intend to. And so I think what you and I and all of us in this, in this arena, this homeschool arena can do is help parents to see that we're, that you don't have to measure your child against a benchmark. Just look at your child's strengths and individual interests and capitalize on those. In fact, one of the chapters in our book is called Capitalizing on Teachable Moments. And that's really you're doing when you are reading aloud to your child. So you may be thinking, or I know you know this, but let's just say a parent's thinking, well, all I'm doing is reading to my child and reading to my child. What am I really doing? There is so much going on when you are reading to a child and you can capitalize on that in very natural ways. You can make it very individualized and very personalized for your child. And that's really like, if we can get that foundation in place, that's what we teach you to build the rest of your uh, reading program around. And so instead of, you didn't sit there with your three-year-old and go, this is the letter H, say H. No, we read brown bear, brown bear. You you read a book, exactly. And then she started to see, and then you were like, hey, that's the same letter that starts with your name. What is that? Oh, that's H, you know, or so. And you notice why kids always want to write their name, because that's personal to them. That's a person. Connection. They don't want to write someone else's name. So when you I can, never thought about it like that. Yeah, you make those connect. They want to write mom's name and dad's name and brother yeah. and sister, right? Yeah. But they don't want to write random words that don't mean anything to them. So it's the same thing like when you teach spelling and when you teach vocabulary. We want to always connect things in context to what matters to that child what the interests are. So if you like my, you know, I loved, I was a first grade teacher, right? So you know what I love to do. I love to take all those wonderful, beautiful picture books and read to my children and might read to my students. And we read chapter books too, and they loved it. But when my kids were born, of course, I wanted to read all those wonderful picture books. My son, Sean, the youngest, who didn't read right away, he'd march into the library, he'd go to the nonfiction section, and we'd come home with, I kid you not, a stack of books this tall about animals. You know, every animal in the world. Well, don't you want to read Brown Bear, Brown Bear, and don't you want to read I Love You So Much? He's like, oh, that's, I don't want to read that. So you know what? I didn't find it. I went with his interest. Think about how much he was learning during those read aloud times, all the different animals and shapes and names and sounds. And so capitalizing on those interests and those teachable moments, how much more rewarding is that than taking out, you know, a phonics program or a reading program say, okay, this, these are the letters for today. These are the leveled books for today. This is the lesson for today. We're only going to do that. And then separating that from read aloud time at bedtime. No, we don't want that. We want, like you said, reading is just what we do. And in the process, that's how our children start to develop that interest so that you can capitalize on their excitement about reading and make it happen. Well, gosh, you've said several things that I want to speak to. Now, let me see if I can remember them. I wrote one of them down, (laughs) but it doesn't connect with this right away. Oh, I know what I was going to say is you're, you're talking about reading and your son coming home with all of the animal books. And I think about my youngest and, oh my gosh, I can remember one time we were reading and I felt like this should just be so enjoyable. And I don't know what the heck happened. We were reading Sarah Plainman's Hall and she just was 
like she just didn't want to sit there and was done with it, you know, but I'll tell you what, those animal books, since she was two years old, I mean, the, from the moment she could walk, she was always after the critters, the the things that most people are like, ew, the snails, the snakes, the toads, the bugs. I, I'm, I was looking at back at things I wrote a while back and it's like, girls, no worms on the table. Girls, no snails on the table. Girls, you can't give the toes a bubble bath, right? But, but, but then that's what she wanted to read. And we read so many books. And then as she got older, she and a good friend would just pour through these snake books together and yeah. just couldn't get enough of it. So she was interested in it naturally. She's interested in it in the books. And now today she volunteers every week at a reptile shop. Yes. And she continues to watch videos and read books about snakes and reptiles. I'm telling you, she's like the next Jane Goodall with snakes and reptiles though. Um, but that's, it, it, it's a natural interest for her and it's what she wanted to read. And you know what? Who cares if she didn't want to read Sarah Plainman's Hall? I might love it. My other daughter might've loved it. She didn't. Yes. You know? And so, yeah, that's, that was one thing. Oh, can I go to another thing? Totally different point in the conversation, but I, I'm going to wrap this up with a few different things. I hope this mom joined our group. I don't know if she did before this, but I hope she watches it in the future. And I invited her from another group I'm part of and to come to this. And she was talking about her son's three-year-old teacher getting upset on uh, like Zoom calls because he's struggling. Okay, I'm going to come back to a few different points. Let's just focus on this one for a minute. Three years old. Mm -hmm. And that that conversation just broke my heart because I have all sorts of thoughts about this. And my first thought is who cares if a three-year-old can read yet? They should just be enjoying the time with you. My second thought was, and you can speak to both of these is I, I'm still reading, um, unschooled and I forgot the author's name again, Carrie McDonald. (laughs) And and I'm listening to it actually, actually as an audiobook. but she, what she mentioned is years ago, I, I can't remember the stats or the year, X number of kindergarten teachers thought X number of children should be able to read in kindergarten. Right. Let's jump forward, say 15 years. Now, five times X number of kindergarten teachers think five times the number of children should be able to read at five years old. So here's this mom's having a teacher push her three-year-old to read. And then I'm thinking, even if they're five, oh, well, if they can't read. So why don't you speak to this and those, and because you were familiar with how those numbers have increased in the expectations of what parents and teachers, I would say teachers and then parents start expecting their children to do at certain age levels. Yes. Um, teaching, uh, learning to read is not a competition. It's not a race. Um, the calendar does not dictate when your child is ready to learn to read. It is a developmentally appropriate um, process. Um, in addition, so there is a there is a literacy expert called Timothy Shanahan. Um, I get his newsletter weekly, and he said, "When should you? Uh, how early should you start working with your child on reading?" And the answer is right away, but not pressure right away. He's like right away, but as long as it takes, right? So like you and I, we started reading with our children right away. We started introducing letters, sounds, things like that. And then if it was time, it worked. And if that child needed more time, we just kept doing those things. I also have a friend who is a homeschool, uh, former homeschooler. She was a homeschool coach, kind of like what you do. Uh, She's also a reading specialist and a teacher and a colleague of mine, a former colleague of mine, but a good friend. And her first child, same thing, learned to read when he was four. Her second son did not learn to read until he was around nine. 
I mean, that sounds so extreme, but let me tell you what, guys, her, that child is an attorney today. So there is nothing wrong, and, and, but you're going to hear that in, in the school system, and this isn't just public school. This is preschool, private school, where they're doing these assessments, and they're measuring children, and they're saying things like you just said, and that makes me so... I want to say it makes me sad, but I'm going to be really honest. It makes me angry. It makes me angry that there are people in the professional field calling themselves experts, telling parents that their three-year-old is behind in reading development. I talked, this is so coincidental, I talked to a, a friend yesterday, a new friend, and she said that her preschool teacher told her that her three-year-old, again, same age, three-year-old, was a slow learner. This child is also bilingual. So she's learning to speak and read in two languages. And I said, you didn't stay at that school, did you? She said, no, we left that school. We went to somewhere else. And I said, okay, good, just checking because, <coughs> excuse me, I said that I am, I'm, I'm just shocked that anyone would say that about a three-year-old. So absolutely, there's lots of things. It's not that you're not teaching reading at that age, it's just you're not sitting down and you're asking, you're not asking your child to read. You're doing the read aloud. You're talking about you what you read. You're getting excited when you read. You're using voices. You're letting your child pick books. You're, um, you're showing your child the wonder of books. You're developing their vocabulary in amazing, astounding ways. There's so much research on this. We don't have time to talk about it all. You're developing their comprehension because they're listening and you're talking about books. There is so much happening when you are doing these pre-reading things with your child to get your child to the place that when they are developmentally ready, this is the brain. We can't tell the brain what to do, right? We can't say to the brain, you're ready to read now because you turned five yesterday. That's right. That, and that's what baffles me. Just because your child turned five, now we're supposed yeah. to, yeah. At, at four years, 11 months, we're just reading books. But the moment they turn five, you feel the pressure as a parent to pick up curriculum. Yes. And when in fact what you were doing was working and probably would work better than yes. picking up that piece of curriculum and squashing the love. Yes, exactly. And I, um, parents tell me that all the time. They say, I was using this. There was tears. There was frustration. My child couldn't do it. I was in tears and frustration as a parent. And then I found your book and they say, um, and there's no more tears. There's no more crying and there's no more fighting. And the best part of it all, one parent says in capital letters, it works. <laughs> and so, yes. Um, it's yes. Global, it's natural. I always say to parents too, people are going to tell you that um, teaching reading is rocket science. Like you have to have all these degrees to do it. I'm telling parents and I want everyone who's watching this to hear, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to teach reading. You don't even have to have the reading degree I do, but you can learn from me. You can learn from other parents with experience like Jackie. Um, and you, what we want to do is help you understand that Picking up that curriculum is not going to make your child a reader. It may be a tool that you can use, mm -hmm. and there are lots of curriculums and materials that will work and some that won't. And again, when parents say to me, well, much, I use this and my child was reading it for, honestly, the truth is, Jackie, that child would have read no matter what curriculum yep. the parent picked up. There is no magic curriculum. There's even research on this. Actually, the government does research on this. It's called the What Works Clearinghouse. And Ooh. you can look at any reading program and see if there is conclusive outside research to show that that reading program works. And I've looked at so many of them because I've had to pick reading programs in yeah. school and stuff and, and guide schools that way. And honestly, there's really nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for doing the homework for us. Now we don't all have to go look at it, but I'm still going to go to that website. I, I have one parent say, like, I wish I would have found you sooner. I would have saved myself a lot of time and money. Yeah, time, money, and more importantly, the connection with your child. Yes. Because, yes. I, and I want to be so clear, I am never against curriculum. I may get 
I'm against forcing it when your kids aren't ready for it and not taking those cues because I think what happens, and this happened to me, Mary, what happens is I'm like, okay, well, if we do this lesson today and this lesson tomorrow and this lesson then, then by the end of the month, we'll be here. And by May 15th, we'll be here and we'll be done with it. Why? Why? Wouldn't that be great though? But we are, again, our, 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 we don't develop that way. We don't. No. And that's the problem with reading programs is it's a one size fits all. Yeah. So if you're, if you're, if you're willing we can teach you how to make those individual choices for your child. I'm, I'm not against curriculum either. Obviously, I'm, no. I'm an educator and I, I've used curriculum, but I always used to say to teachers that I coach, we don't teach curriculum, we teach children. Thank so you. Oh, I love that. Remember that. <laughs> yeah, we don't teach curriculum. I'm writing it down, Mary. We teach children. I'm going to put that on your page. I love that. So, and I'm sure others have said it too, but whatever, you said it here. <laughs> so, I do. I love it. It's important to say it. It's important to hear it and be well, reminded because as you said, there is a lot of pressure, whether that's yeah. from internally or externally. You know, sometimes, you know, parents have pressure from family, friends. They say, what, 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 your kid's not reading yet? My kid's reading, you know, and so you get, you know, that happens. And so there's yes. a lot of pressure there. And so if we can relieve that pressure, I think this whole entire podcast will have been worth that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, speaking of that, of other people, I, I am fairly, a fairly strong person in what I'm going to do. And people don't really question me much because I, I'm, you can give me your input. And if something you say changes my opinion, well, that's fine, but I'm going to do what I think is right, period. So I haven't had flack from my family about homeschooling my kids because I believe nobody thinks I would take it. So I read this book in college. It changed my life, Mary. I'm going to digress for just a moment. It's called um, Control Theory by William Glasser. Oh, okay. I have to admit, I... It, I don't think it's out, it's published anymore. I was going to reread it and I think, I don't know, I think I got rid of it at some point, but I think it might be under like a different name, but it's all about having boundaries really. And boy, I'm telling you, homeschooling parents, we, we need to have those, right? But, okay, where was I going with that? Oh, but if you do have a family who is giving you grief about where your child is developmentally, having some facts like this and having some solid information and feeling like, no, this is okay that my child is taking longer. You might not like that, but I am okay with it. I am okay with it. And you know what? I think as a parent, we need to be okay with our children learning at a different rate because if we're not okay with it, what does that tell our children? Exactly. That you're not okay. Exactly. And that is the last thing you want to tell your child is that you're not okay. You want your kids to feel like I am good enough just the way I am. Mm -hmm. And if that means they're learning to read at nine, so be it. Now, I think there's a difference if like there are no books in the house and your child's not learning to read because there's no opportunity. That's a very different story. Right. But if you are reading with your kid and they're loving reading, just keep reading Just keep reading because you know what? The moment it clicks with them, they're going to rip that book out of your hands and read it. (laughs) Exactly. And and that's the important thing about the read aloud. The other important thing, I said there's a million important things, but the other important thing about the read aloud is that your child is getting so excited about these amazing stories and adventures and information that you're sharing with them. They're literally drooling to be able to dive in and read those books on their own. So your child is not going to hold back when they are ready because they, they've discovered the, the magic of reading, right? And there's a book called Reading yeah magic by mem fox and i I recommend every parent read that book it's very short it's a super easy read reading magic by mem fox 
your child is indeed going to rip that book out of your hand because they're going they're and they're going to go to a book that you've already read or a book that you've reread a hundred times. That's going to be the first book they read on their own because they've already have that familiarity with it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what else is going on before our children are ready to sit down and do phonics. There is something called phonemic awareness. You okay. might also hear it called phonological awareness. And I don't like to throw jargon out and things like that, but it's really important for parents. And even as a new teacher, I didn't know this because I wasn't really trained very well in how to teach reading. Believe it or not, I had an elementary education degree from a state university, and I only had two classes on teaching reading. Wow. So that's how much your average elementary teacher knows unless she has taken other courses on her own or unless she has a reading specialist degree or whatever. So just kind of keep that in mind too when you're getting expert advice. But what um um what what I learned at, as I began to get my master's degree and learned everything I could about teaching reading is phonemic awareness. That is what's happening before a child is ready to read, but it is the number one predictor of reading success. The number one predictor of reading success wow. is phonemic awareness. So what does that fancy thing mean? It just means, can your child listen to sounds and manipulate sounds. So it has nothing to do with pencils and books and paper. We don't do any of this on paper. It's all auditory. And it's things that you're doing naturally that you probably don't realize, like reading Dr. Seuss books, rhyming books, playing the name game, having your child practice sounding out words. So for example, let's say we read hop on pop, right? And mm -hmm. we know there's the rhyming words in there or cat in the hat. And we've got things that we call word families, like the OP word family. You say to your child, hey, um, what rhymes with hop? And then of course they're gonna say pop. And then let's think of some other words mop and top and stop and clop and maybe they can't spell those words yet they probably can't read them but they uh -huh. can hear the rhyming so rhyming is one of the things we're looking for in those early reading years those preschool years in those kindergarten years okay. being able to ma manipulate those sounds so if i say all right uh, we learned the word hop today and we could do this. Maybe I'm driving in the car. We're not saying yeah. this isn't school time. This is just fun. We're walking in the park. Uh, what if we put the, what if we put this sound t in front of op? What do you get? We get top. What if we change that with a, with an M? Oh, it's mop. And so your child should be able to do that just by listening and talking about, it's called manipulating those sounds. That's important stuff before if you don't know if your child can do those things and you're jumping into phonics let me just say you're you could definitely be setting yourself up for some frustration so again there's so much that is happening before officially starting to read so i don't want parents to think i'm just reading with my child you're doing amazing things you are setting the foundation for reading success well, you know, I, I agree with you on this because to me, that was something I did with my kids before they could walk, before they could even walk. And, you know, just sitting there in the rocking chair before nap time, reading board books. And when they didn't want to read the board book, that's fine. We just talked about the pictures, you know, good night moon. That's yeah. the classic, right? It, or a classic. Everybody knows, but I loved that book because there are so many things you could talk about yes. in that book. And I, but I have to say, I never thought about that as a parent. I, I'm sure I did the rhyming things, but that they needed to be able to, you know, uh, bake, take, cake, right? Yes. You know, whatever, yes. that they needed to be able to do that in their mind before they could do it yes. reading is yes. and that's what i'm gathering now yes yes that's the phonemic awareness stage syllables too because so you can you can practice clapping like let's do banana banana they should they they so they're hearing the hearts 
Yes. And the phoning, that's where we get the phonemic awareness from. So that's just a really important piece um, that I think parents need to know. And it's not something that's regularly talked about. That's something. And then boy, we, I'm going to have to just get to the point where we're going to wrap it up. But I want to go back to what you said about your typical classroom teacher having two classes in teaching reading. It, two classes in teaching reading. And something I want to sort of reiterate upon for parents, especially when you are thinking about homeschooling, right? I believe that there is so much that a parent might need to overcome in their own mind mm -hmm. to think that I can teach my child. I can educate my child. It is a huge responsibility, right? Yeah. But Nobody knows your child better than you do. And when you think about it like that, this person really only took two classes here. Yes, they took classes here, here, and here too. But I want parents to believe that I can do this. And I think the number one thing you need to know as a parent is you are capable, whether you have any degree or not. And if you are resourceful, you can find people and materials to help you, to guide you. And right here, the Homeschool Think Tank podcast is intended to do that. Or I'm sort of redubbing it, the Homeschool Think Tank show, because we're going to start sharing the video and on some places and the podcast, you know, so it works for everything. But I want parents to know that you can do this. You are capable of it. And Mary offers a free Facebook group. So all, everything Mary does is total in total alignment with my personal belief system and connection first, community second, education third. You've got the connection. You're working on that with your kid when you just sit there and read for fun, right? You have a community here inside the Homeschool Think Tank podcast group. And I'll tell you, there's a whole lot of me in that group right now. And that's not what I want it to look like. I want it to look like parents asking each other questions and helping each other out and saying, you know what, this didn't work for me, but this worked for me, right? right? And you have a community with Mary too, if you are really focused on that elementary age group reading, but I'm guessing even if you have a kid that's older, you could join that group and pick things up, right? <laughs> or if you're a, you know, grandparent, I have teachers in there and they share great ideas for books. That's the number, one of the number one questions is like, my child is at this stage, what else should we be reading? And we have so many parents and teachers in there sharing ideas. So it's really, uh, like you said, it's a great resource for parents to go to. Well, and you know what, and I want to acknowledge this too. I am not wild about the school system. However, I believe there are wonderful teachers. Absolutely. There are some that aren't so great too. <laughs> I've seen them, but there are wonderful teachers and people who just really love to help parents and help kids. And that's why, even though you are not a homeschooling parent, I am more than happy to interview you here because you have that heart there. And also you mentioned something to me in our private conversation the other day. I think you know what I'm alluding to. If you want to, you can share your thoughts on that. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'll put it in the chat, Mary. Um, hold on one moment here. Uh, I agree with you on that. Of course, I am an educator. I've, I've worked with teachers. I've trained teachers. I do train teachers. I still train teachers every day. That's, that's kind of my, my side job. And I absolutely... Um, think that there are great teachers out there. Uh, my son, the, the youngest, he still wasn't quite reading as much as I hoped he would. And then in around third grade, he took off like crazy. Um, and he had a teacher who just really believed in the power of reading a lot. Um, there's a really great, another great book out there for teachers. But if you want to give a gift to a teacher, it's called The Book Whisperer by Donalyn Miller. And I've read that book several times and it's incredible. And it's really is the philosophy of what I'm sharing here. But anyway, he had a teacher very similar to that. And he just took off. I, I'm the kid probably read 75 books in fourth grade. I'm not wow. kidding. 
Like if you look in the comments, I put what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, but what I, you know, so my son went to private school and then they both went to public school and then my oldest did an online school. So I've kind of been all over the place and I've taught in all those situations as well. And what I was saying to Jackie was to, if I could do it all over again, I would absolutely homeschool my children. In fact, I would be kind of on the border of an unschooling mom. And so now it's like, I, whenever parents say to me, I had a real, actually I had a colleague. I just, I just want to share this with you. A, colleague, a, a, a teacher friend of mine uh, called me up a couple of years ago, just out of the blue. And she said, I, I just need to talk to someone and I really respect you. So I want to talk to you about this. I'm like, okay, sure. What? And she said that um, her son had a medical condition and he was experiencing seizures and he would go to school. This was first grade. And every day in first grade, he would experience like two seizures a day. But on the weekend, he never had any seizures. So she started to think, <laughs> what is the common denominator here? And she would say, well, honey, do you feel like stressed? And, you know, you're asking a, you know, a six-year-old if they feel stressed. And he said, yes, I get really nervous because we have so many tests to take. Aww. And so she called me up. She said, do you think I should homeschool? I said, well, what do you think? She said, I think I'm going to try it. I said, I think you already have your answer and I know you can do it because you're an amazing teacher and you are, you, and you love your child. Right. And so do you know what happened? I mean, I'm not kidding you. The doctors were ready to put him on more medicine and they didn't. She said, hold on, let's just try this. He is seizure free, seizure free, reading above grade level. She just shared a picture on Facebook uh, the, this morning of him. And, and she just, she'll, every couple months, she'll send me a little private message and go, thank you for encouraging me to step out and do this because it has changed my son's life. It has changed our family's life. And I have seen that so many times, Jackie, even though um, I was working in online education. So I was really working in public school education, but I mm -hmm. would have many parents that would come and say, I've chosen this option because our public school is really bad or because we live in a really scary neighborhood and I don't want my child being exposed to drugs or my child was getting bullied at school or my child has this physical problem. I have had grandparents say, I want to do this with my child, my child, my grandchildren, because I want them to have a chance and they don't have a chance in where they live. So, um, I, I'm just a big homeschool. I'm a big school choice advocate, whatever works for a parent. Mm -hmm. But I honestly think you are your child's first teacher. As Jackie said, you know your child better than anybody. And those instincts, like the one my friend had about her child, have paid off. The instinct for yeah. me to say about Sean, he's not going to first grade. And I, I would have pulled him out. I would have homeschooled him if they would have made him go to first grade. I told my husband, if, if you, you can write this on my tombstone, she did one thing right. And that was, allowing <laughs> Sean, I'm not kidding, I say it all the time, allowing Sean to develop so that he can become a reader when he was ready because it has made all the difference in his life. So I absolutely, absolutely know that parents can do this and you need to just, tr just trust yourself, trust your instincts. And like Jackie said, there's so many amazing resources out there right now. We, there are been a better time to homeschool, you know? Do you have time for me to mention two more things? That was a perfect ending point, but if you don't, <laughs> we can end. You can edit the that, podcast. That's fine. The, you, you brought this back and I, I thought about this when you first shared the story about Sean and his age and, you know, he had the June birthday, right? Have you ever read the book Freakonomics? You know what? I read some of it. It's, it's been years ago. There are yeah. all sorts of little stories within it. Well, one of the things he really talks about in there is hockey players. He has this whole little section on hockey players. And most, you know this, huh? So most hockey players were born between January, like professional ones, January and March. And that's because hockey season starts in January and the, the cutoff, like the birthday cutoff, Yep. was just right. So those players had almost a full year, you know, maybe nine months to a year of development right. on other players. Well, the same can be said if your child is in school, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. So, 
your child, my child, if my child is a, is, is a December birthday mm-hmm. and make the cutoff right for September. So they're going all the way around the calendar coming in in September. They've got what, nine months on, let's say a child who's a June or July birthday. They've got so many months. So I always tell parents, and I don't mean to like do these gender stereotypes, but we do see that boys sometimes take a little longer to get ready to read. So that's something to keep in mind. So Sean being a June birthday, I was looking at him and I could absolutely see he just wasn't ready. He always did things his own way. This is the kid who, when he did go to school, he'd go to school with one red sock and one green sock. Okay. So it's just the way it was. I have a kid like that. <laughs> his own way. Um, and he did a lot of reversals, even into what, this is another question parents ask a lot. Should I be concerned? Is this a sign of dyslexia? He did reversals well into second grade. So he was already eight, almost nine, and he was still doing reversals, not only in his writing, but also in his speech. And so he really funny things like post ossif instead of post office, you know, things that three and four year olds were saying he was still stumbling over. And I was just on the verge of going as a reading specialist, maybe, but then it just kind of, it just went away and, and he was, he was performing well and he was enjoying reading and he was doing well in school. So again, there's a lot of people who will right away get very nervous about those things, but you have to remember it's the brain development, the auditory development. These things are still working themselves out till children are eight, nine years old. Mm-hmm. So, and then the last thing, and I'm not going to make any more things, even if I have connections going, but this is how people learn, right? For real. You have the synapses going clink, 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 <laughs> and they're all connecting because I take this from I learned over here and I connect it here and I connect it here. It's the same for your kids. Right. But that I've talked about this book a lot. I love this book. And someday I hope I get this guy on my podcast. I haven't even made the ask and I know people who know him, but because I don't feel like I'm there yet as somebody who does interviews. I feel like to ask this really big name, I need to up my interview game first and be really confident in everything that I do, right? But Peter Gray with Free to Learn, I love that book. And he talks about just like your friend's child quit having seizures once she was out of, he was out of school. Well, in this book, Free to Learn by Peter Gray, he talks about basically kids are being diagnosed with AD and ADHD and all these things because they can't sit still. Well, it's not developmentally ready. They're not developmentally, it's not appropriate for them to sit still. And the moment they homeschool, they drop the medication and they're fine. Absolutely. You know, I just watched uh, the, the PBS documentary on the Roosevelt's and uh, Teddy Roosevelt, one of the, one of the documentary uh, historians said, Today, Teddy Roosevelt would have been diagnosed with ADHD and put on medication. Um, You know, that is, but look at what that man accomplished in his life. Everybody is different. Um, Mm -hmm. Speaking of ADHD and hockey, my sister, my nephew, uh, he had ADHD and my sister did not put him on medicine, but she enrolled him in hockey. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I don't want this to come across wrong though. If somebody needs medication, they need it, but it's wrong to diagnose a child because you're expecting them to do something that they're not developmentally ready to do. It's wrong to medicate and diagnose, in my opinion, when really the environment and the environment is not ready for the child. It's not that the child isn't ready for the environment. The environment's not ready for the kid is not set up for children. And, you know, again, just thinking about uh, some of the things we've talked about, we can kind of bring that full circle. It's really only here (laughs) in the U.S., I hate to say this, that we have these unrealistic expectations and that we've set up education in a way that children are struggling. In other countries, let's say Finland, let's say Germany, um, they don't even expect children to learn to read till they're seven or eight. For every 45 minutes of instruction, they get 40 
45 minutes of recess. I mean, and here in the U.S., we're taking recess away because we have to, you know, get ready for tests and things like that. And I'll never forget when my all-wise second grader, uh, no, first grader, Sean, again, came home from school and said, Mom, they made a stand for recess again because we were being, quote, bad. And I said, really? And he said, don't the teachers know that we're little kids and we need our recess so that we can concentrate? And I was like, out of the mouths of babes, you know? And it's just, so yeah, you know, I think homeschooling just allows you to take all of those barriers away um, and allows you to work with your child as they are developmentally ready. And you can um, you know, meet the needs of your individual children because they're all going to be different even within your own family as we've already talked about, right? That's right. I so enjoyed this interview. I could visit with Mary Gallagher all day long. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mary Gallagher, the co-author of Teach a Child to Read with Children's Books. So remember to check the show notes for the link and it's Homeschool Think Tank dot com slash teach a child to read with a dash where the space spaces normally are and get chapter five of Mary's book for free. Also you can always find our podcast guests at homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews. All right, you have a great week. Remember to share this episode if you found it helpful and subscribe to the Homeschool Think Tank podcast. Have a great week. Live and learn your way. My name is Jackie, and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye. I want to say thank you for listening to the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to follow this podcast and share it with a friend. Remember to check the show notes for a link to the article that corresponds with this podcast episode. In this article, we'll include any links that we mentioned in this episode. And remember that you can search all of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast episodes at homeschoolthinktank.com.